0: Well, thank you for your uh, warm welcome this morning. Um, I-, I spend most of my life working for BMS World Mission and uh, speaking at churches around East Anglia, so uh, it's really lovely to be with you this morning as a friend. I'm not often introduced as a friend, and so that's great. And it's really nice to be invited back. Not many churches do that, so thank you for that. <laughs> it's uh, it's a privilege to be uh, to be with you this morning. Um, I work for, if you don't know, I work for a mission agency that, that works um, in 40 different countries of the world. And not very long ago, I was down in um, at South End, uh, which is uh, part of my, my patch. You know when you're in South End, because they've all got Essex accents, you know. And so it's kind of, it's, it's sort of an interesting place to go. And a and guy came up to me after the service who didn't have uh, a South End accent. He, had, um, he was a South, um, South African and he said to me, you know, I've been looking at your website as an organisation, and I've listened to what you've said this, morning, this evening. And, and what I want to know is, what is God saying to the world? What is God saying to the world? And you know when somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer to, especially if you, you, you reckon you've heard most of the questions in your life, so you're kind of, you, you're kind of used to answering straight off. And um, if you're like me, what happens is that you you begin to lose the plot a bit and waffle. And, and I heard myself begin to waffle, because I wasn't really quite sure what he wanted to hear. So I said lots of positive and encouraging things, and he just looked at me. A bit like my wife does sometimes when she knows I'm waffling. You know, She just kind of gives me that look, and I know that I need to shut up and get on with uh, answering the question properly. And I really... I understood what he was saying. He wasn't saying, what's our strategy for mission? Or, or what are we doing in the churches in the UK? Or, or what, are we, what have we got as a mission statement? He was being a little more spiritual than that, in a sense. There's nothing wrong with that. He was saying, what is it that you hear God saying around the world? What are the big themes of, of what God is addressing around the world? And it's, um, it's been an interesting question... And one that that I've pondered a lot since uh, June when he asked me that. And I've been a bit of a pain, really, because anybody I meet who's been elsewhere in the world, I ask the question of, which means that they usually kind of look a little like me at that time, but not for very long, because curiously they can often give me an answer. I'm going to ask Simon, who I gather has just got back. Oh, there you are. Just got back from Mozambique. And uh, I'm going to ask Simon that uh, a little later on so he can create a, uh, think up a, think, yeah, he's, he's smiling now, he looked all worried for a moment and, and now he's smiling. So this story that we heard about this guy with this really weird name, I'm so sorry I chose a passage with uh, one of the longer names in the Bible. I've got a solution to this problem. You might say, well what's that got to do with me? What's God going to say? to me through that really weird story in the sticky pages in the Bible that you don't often open. How many of us have ever turned to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and thought of uh, uh, that it might have some relevance to me? Am I even bothered about what God might want to say to me uh, this morning? But we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this passage and and just exploring what it might mean for us uh, today. This is a story about effectively about two people. One is King David, 3,000 years ago, the most effective, most powerful, most significant king that Israel ever had, had unified the kingdom, had expanded its borders, had, had, was a fantastic king, a man after the heart of God. And when you come across David, you can often uh, look at somebody who, it looks as if God had looked after him pretty well, he was a man who, for whom things were going really well, particularly at this point in his, uh, in his kingship. And he says an interesting thing here, right at the very beginning of this passage. We, but David asks the question, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, actually, this is a really sad question. This is, a, in a sense, a, a question with great pathos, because... Saul's family, that's that's Jonathan's father's family, Saul's family had effectively been destroyed. Saul and David had this great conflict. Uh, Saul had got jealous about David's success and had tried to kill him. Jonathan had had tried to mediate and it had been unsuccessful. And, And for the most part in the tradition of their time, as a result of David winning the battle, Saul's family had been destroyed. And yet David asked the question, is there anyone around whom I can not destroy, but show a kindness to? Is there anyone who I can show not revenge, but compassion to? And then he does it not for his own sake, but for the sake of the relationship that he had with Jonathan. In other words, he's remembering a a promise, a covenant, a commitment that he made to Jonathan and he's now going to fulfill that by trying to look for somebody else who's around from the same family, uh, from Saul's family, from Jonathan's father's family. And what he's going to say to them, what he's going to do is try and show him some kindness, some compassion. This story also involves this guy here. Marirabel. Now this is easier for me to pronounce, I have to say, and that's because this is the same guy as we read about in our passage. He's a man with two names. We'll come back to that in a second. And he's really a man who uh, could say pretty well that God had turned against him. He's a man who, when he looked at his lot in life, felt that he had been cheated by God. He's a man with a troubled life. Firstly, his entire family has been destroyed. He's, he's not a man who's got lots of relatives in a time when it was important to have your relatives, to have your families, to have your connections uh, around, uh, around you. So he's a man who's on his own, and the second thing we know about him is that he was crippled as a child during his, uh, 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 during his childhood. And that happened in a really sad way because he was fleeing from David and his army and his nurse dropped him and he was paralysed from the waist down. So this is a man who has had a history, a lifetime of suffering and he's got a, if, he, if ever is a man who needs to go on the Restoring Eve course, it's, it's Marirabel. Because he's a man with a really low self-esteem. When he finally meets David, he says, what are you interested in, a dead dog like me? So he's really a man who's got a really poor self-image. And actually it's worse than that, because his two names mean this. He starts off being called Marilla Bell, which means God fights against me. Imagine we've had dedications dedication this morning. It's fantastic. What a lovely, oh, what's happened to the baby? <laughs> the baby's gone. <laughs> uh, it was lovely to see Molly with the hat and all the rest of it, wasn't it? It's was fantastic. Absolutely terrific. But here's a man who, when he was born, was called God fights against me. Can you imagine when he's been called in to play before he had that injury and was damaged uh, and was paralysed? You know, when his mum calls him in from playing, calls him in and says, God fights against you, your dinner's ready. You know, you're going to grow up, aren't you, with a kind of sense of of trouble in your life. And when he um, changes his name, his new name means a shameful thing. So he's a man with a real problem. And maybe you identify rather more this morning, not with David, but with somebody who's had trouble in your life, somebody who is going through it a bit, somebody who, when your mum called you in, it wasn't a pleasant experience as a child, perhaps somebody who feels cheated by the the circumstances that God seems to have placed upon your life. When, when you were young and your family uh, deserted you or were, in your view, unfairly treated, when you have grown up, even though you've changed where you live or changed your name, you still live with having that sense of, of low esteem. Maybe you feel like Maria Bell, when he was living as a refugee away from uh, the centre of all that was going on. He'd fleed with his nurse and now lived alone. That's why that song that we sang just a few moments ago, I think is a really, really tough song to sing in a sense it's a fantastic song everybody gets excited about it because it's got a really cracking tune and it says some really positive things but hidden in all those words the contrast in the verse is really important to recognize blessed be your name when i found in the desert place when i walk through the wilderness and many of us don't feel at times do we like seeing blessed be your name when it's a really tough in our lives blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. And there's something sometimes we think that's going on in the the psyche of people who can take these really difficult experiences and still want to bless God. What is God saying to this, this refugee, this cripple, this person with his shattered personality and shattered family, with his shattered legs What's he going to say to him? And does it matter to us? Are we bothered? I think this is one of those amazing passages of scripture. And it's an amazing passage of scripture because sometimes when we come to the Old Testament, we often think, what possibly could it mean to us today? We're very good at turning to the New Testament. We're quite good at turning to the Psalms. But we look at these passages and we look at the genealogies and we we look at the the history and we say, what on earth does this mean for us today? And we know this story because it's just been read to us, that, that David looks around, he wants to find somebody he can show kindness to, and what he's presented to is a cripple. And can you imagine how uh, Mirella Bale felt when, when he saw David's uh, representatives coming to see him? Can you imagine what he felt when he's finally been found out? He's in hiding, he's a cripple, his life is not treated him well. And suddenly along come the king's representatives and he's thinking in the back of his head, this is it, this is the moment that I got found out, I might even have changed my name to something even worse than I started off with. So, what is going to happen here? Uh, is, this, is this the end of uh, my life? Is this the end of everything that I know? And we begin by the most remarkable fear that he experiences. It's not unsurprising, is it, that if you were about to meet the king who had overcome your family, and you might be a little fearful. But in fact, look at these opening words in verse 7. Do not be afraid, David said to him. And where do we also hear those words? Where else in the Bible do we hear those words? Do we not hear it on the lips of the angels in the Christmas story that we know so well to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. Do we not hear it on the lips of Jesus, the risen Jesus after after the crucifixion and when he's risen from the dead, saying to his disciples, do not be afraid. Is it not the case that whenever we come into the presence of somebody who is much more important than we ever could be, we have that sense of, well, we might describe it as fear. Is that not our experience? And do we not need then to be told, do not fear? They say that was the thing about President Clinton, that when you met him, you knew you had met somebody. They said that about Princess Diana as well, don't they? That when you met her, suddenly there was a communication. You you didn't need to fear that you were in the presence of the most important person in the world or the second most important person in the world, depending on your point of view about those two individuals. And that is even more so the case today. When we come to worship God, do we come to worship God who we fear? He's the creator of the universe. He knows everything about us. He knows our, our downs and our ups. He knows the good things and the bad things. Do we come to fear or is it not every time we come? into the presence of God, we're also being reminded that we need not fear. Because just as David unconditionally is accepting this crippled man into his presence, so God accepts us. And that is the astonishing starting point in this story. Second thing that we read in this passage is that this is, there is a undeserved kindness going to be shown. Do not be afraid, David says to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. Kindness was the last thing that this man would have expected. And sometimes when we come into the presence of God, kindness is the last thing we might expect to be on his uh, list, on his agenda. You are convinced, sometimes we are convinced, that when we come into God's presence, what will overwhelm us is our unworthiness, that God will want to focus on the bad things. But David's kindness is based upon his covenant, which existed before this man was born. It's the relationship he had with his predecessors. Doesn't that remind us of the relationship that we have with God? That before we were born, in fact, before we were created, in fact, before the world was created, Christ would come and die for us that the relationship that we have is based upon a different kind of covenant, that the kindness that God will show us comes because God is so committed to us that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to die on a cross, to take upon himself all that rubbish that we've been thinking about. I'm sure that that Kerry on her course will be thinking about that. sure that that's the, the basis upon which all of us would want to sit here this morning, not because of what we have done in the past which is rubbish but because of God who has taken us in our brokenness and wanted to show us kindness. Christians call this grace. It's the most astonishing surprising grace of God that even though you and I are not worth it, even though we will mess up, even though we will continue to mess up at times, God shows his kindness to us. Sometimes people use that little uh, expression about grace, grace being God's riches at Christ's expense. What a tremendous offer of good news that is to each one of us. We call it grace because it is God's immeasurable riches to those who otherwise would be spiritual paupers. Not only is there the surprising grace that is shown to uh, this poor crippled man, but also there's a restoration of his rights. He's had his land taken away from him. He's got nothing, he's a pauper. And what God is wanting to say to, to us today is that we have rights, we have inheritance. For them it was the land. I will restore to you, verse 7, all the land that belonged to your father Saul and you will eat at my table. Without God we have nothing. We have no hope. We have no opportunity. And what God says to us in his amazing kindness is I do want to give you the land back. I do want to give you your rights back. I don't want you living as, a, as, a, as an outcast, separated from me. i love to be with you. I want to show you a kindness this morning. I want to take you in your, in your need, in your sense of, of, of all that uh, uh, you, uh, you struggle with. And I want to restore it to you. And I'll spare no expense in reconstructing your life. Here is a man who was a cripple, and who's having his life reconstructed around him. And then here is the man who is being restored to a relationship of family. I liked the way that Heather and uh, Claire talked about family, talked about belonging together today. It's one of, the, one of the most fantastic images of the church. The church is not an institution. It's not even this building. I'm very impressed to see uh, how your, your extra bit of building's going on. We know that. Church is essentially about Christians who are in relationship with one another, being the body of Christ, being the family of God. And here is a man who has been separated from his family. Most of them have been wiped out. And David is bringing him back in. And saying, you're going to come and sit at my table. And where have we heard that before? Where do we know that story before? A story of us who are, who are separated, who, whose family has gone, being brought back into the presence of God. Doesn't it sound like the New Testament idea of being adopted? Isn't the idea of adopting a child a wonderful, child, a wonderful principle? That a child who has no parents now has parents. Has been chosen. Has been brought out of being an orphan. And now has parents again. I only realised recently that a child who has been adopted into a family no longer has the rights of the old family. If that child were to inherit money. Can't inherit that money because it's no longer part of the, of the original family. Such is the significance of adoption And is that not what has happened to us? Have we not been brought into God's family? And have we not been brought? We sometimes sit around the table, don't we? We talk about the communion table. We talk about being part of God's family. That's why, in a sense, communion is so important to us, because it's remembering that we too have been invited to sit around this table and to have table fellowship. It's why eating is so important. Simon's just got back from Africa. I just got back from South America. It's why uh, eating for most, in most parts of the world is so important to do together, not in front of the television, but as, as communities, because it's expressing that you're part of the same family. And that's what David is, is offering to Maribel, And it's what God offers to us to be adopted into his family be invited to sit at his table to be restored into a new family and a new relationship and then finally this quite simple passage tells us something else that's worth happening as well remember this is a man who has been paralyzed from the waist down this is not a man who can go out and till his land and look after his cattle. He needs something else as well. And that's why David solves that problem in this passage as well. He says, no, actually, you'll have servants too. Your your servants and your sons will farm the land. Here is a man who's got future hope. Here is a man who can see the way out of his suffering and his difficulty. And he might have thought, what's the catch? And we, when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ and we think about what it means for us, we're often inclined to think, well, what's the catch, God? What do you want out of this? And of course, there's nothing that we can offer to God. There's nothing that we can respond to God with in that sense. And in a real sense, we still sometimes carry the the pain of the past, the damage of the past into our future. But what God does is he gives us the solution to that. He removes the sting of that. He removes the stigma of of that. We are sometimes still orphaned, crippled people, but we are not hopeless people. We're not fearful people. We're not friendless people. We're not alienated people. We're people that God has changed from the inside out. And that's the significance of the grace of God. And so we might say, am I bothered? Am I bothered that God is offering me all this this morning? Is it, am I bothered that 3,000 years ago there was this little encounter uh, that, has, uh, that we've, we've seen reflects through into the New Testament and uh, impacts our lives today? Am I actually bothered by it all? <laughs> Well, for a man who was a cripple, he was sufficiently affected that when he had a son, just towards the end of this, this passage, he called him Micah. It means who is like God. Didn't call him a shameful one, didn't call him somebody that God fights against. He's understood that God has taken a crippled, orphaned enemy of the state and given him a place of honor to sit at the table of the king and who but God can forgive us who but God can take someone who's in failure and shame and welcome us into his table forever Isaiah says uh, that God longs to be gracious to each of us to be people who also can say who is like God to show me that grace and that mercy also not only a story it's also a story for everyone and for me you see when I went and spoke when I've spoken to people who've traveled around the world it's quite interesting to know what they say I thought they'd say a myriad of things I thought they'd say well in South America they're saying one thing and in North Africa they're saying something else and uh, and this is what God's saying in Europe and the most astonishing thing is that when I've spoken to people they've almost always said the same thing to me they've said God is saying to Christians right around the world stop Playing around. It's almost the same words used every time. Take your Christian faith seriously and live it out. So there you are, Simon, that's the answer for when we talk later on. Okay, that's what even if you didn't hear that, you'll really depress me if you didn't hear them say that. Because that in today's message means that we're gonna live our lives as people who have experienced the most astonishing grace of God. We're going to be bothered by what we have heard. We're going to be people who therefore will indeed live differently. See, there's an application for the real world here. I don't know whether you're like me, but I have been on the most staggering number of discipleship courses, of doing Bible study, of going to a small group, And so often it hasn't done anything at all in my life other than to have studied the Bible. Because there needs to be some practical outworking of what we read here. Just to know that God is gracious is often not good enough. Look, David shows real compassion in this story. God shows us real compassion. So let's stop messing around and let's be disciples who follow God. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus who was one in the line of David, we too are going to be those people who seek out the enemies of the state and bless them. We too are going to be those people who seek out the poor and bless them. We're going to be those who seek out the weak and the lame and those who are hidden away and bless them we're going to be people who like God will be about blessing those who do not deserve it we in our lives as people of grace will be those who bless more than anyone ever deserves we're going to be those who bless not for our own sake because it makes us feel good but for the sake of another, for the sake of Jesus Christ.